A very warm welcome to this World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello, World Game Changers, wherever you are, and welcome to this podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by a gentleman from uh, from the United States of America by the name of Dr. Art McCoy. Art, if I can be so presumptuous to, as to refer you by that uh, by that name, a very, very, very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, my, my dear friend, Paul. And listeners, we're in for a treat today. I mean, we're always in for a treat. I, you know, I... I I think it's folly to single individuals out because, um, you know, every every conversation is unique. There's always something in there. But this particular one, for some reason, um, you know, artist um, is a St. Louis Distinguished Fellow. He's got connections with Harvard. I mean, I'll let him fill the details in on that. You know, he's a world educator. I'm excited about this on a really deep personal level. Sometimes something captures your imagination and we don't quite know how or why. Um, you know, why does the wind blow? Why does the sun shine? Why does it rain? We don't know. It just doesn't. There's that kind of little bit of mystique today around this one with, uh, with art. So um, without me keep going on and, you know, creating even more confusion, Oh, help me out here because I feel like I'm digging a hole bigger and bigger and bigger. So uh, <laughs> just uh, tell us a little, start by telling us a little bit more about yourself, if you will. By all means. Uh, so again, it's a pleasure to be with this, this amazing uh, group of leaders who are listening, uh, who, who are world game changers and people of purpose. I uh, am the fourth generation of a series of, of religious spiritual people. Uh, my, if you go back to the 1700s, uh, my people were seers when they first arrived to America from the uh, Mali area from Africa and uh, from the middle of Africa. And uh, some of the individuals from Kenya uh, arrived, came through Germany and then arrived in Virginia and South Carolina and in the 1700s uh, were seers, able to see deeply into things and tell people advice on where, where to go, what to do to have better outcomes. Uh, after that generation, you had some spiritualists and then after that, some preachers and teachers and pastors for about three generations of my grandparents, great-grandparents and so forth, my parents. Uh, and so I am uh, one of those individuals who've dedicated my life towards seeing the souls first and knowing that we're souls first and staff second, souls first and students second, souls first and stakeholders second, no matter where you're coming from. I mean, of course, people claim to be and aim to be lifelong learners and lifelong students, but it's your soul's yearning that wants to get your soul's song out to society that makes you seek out knowledge to be that lifelong learner. So I dedicated myself towards being a, an educator in the public school systems uh, after 25 years of educating and 22 years of being a school administrator. I became the actually the youngest certified educator in the state of Missouri, becoming a certified substitute teacher at the age of 18, completed my bachelor's degree about a year and a half after high school, uh, finishing high school. So I finished a four-year college degree in a year and a half by taking 25 credit hours every semester plus summertime. And that uh, had me be prepared to be the youngest certified teacher of mathematics at the age of 19 in the state of Missouri. Uh, so certified mathematics teacher from seventh grade through t uh, 12th grade, which is the high school area, uh, and then became a certified principal. I started teaching, taught for three years at my alma mater, became a certified principal with my master's degree by 22 and was the vice principal of Hardin Middle School and then the gifted director for Pattonville School District at 25 um, became an assistant superintendent by 31 and then superintendent and CEO of schools, the youngest in Missouri at age 33, overseeing 14,000 students and a $150 million budget. 
I also was the first African-American to be superintendent of schools in the Ferguson Florissant School District. That name should be familiar. Ferguson is the location where Michael Brown Jr. Um, was slain and, uh, and died and laid on the ground for four hours and then erupted towards protests in Missouri, in the United States, and, uh, and that became known across the world. Uh, I was interviewed by people from China and India and other places who flew here to come to Ferguson. Uh, well, I was the first black superintendent of Ferguson and Michael Brown Jr. was my student in his ninth grade year. He did graduate and then after graduating from high school, that's when he lost his life um, about six months after graduating. However, you know, knowing that we are souls first and students second, souls first, staff second, souls first and stakeholders second, I worked in the education arena to help people unlock the, the, the aspects of their potential uh, that's, you know, within you and within your soul, your heart, your, your heart's desire to then express it uh, to the world. And so uh, since uh, serving as a superintendent of schools for over 13 years, I've uh, recently retired from that position, but not from the mission. And that's how I became a St. Louis University Distinguished Fellow, uh, a regional business council leader for workforce development, a Mental Health America uh, advisor and board member working to help mental health across the nation and, and much, uh, much more as far as working on diversity and inclusion and equity. And so ultimately, uh, I, I know that we're going to get into some great discussion, but I'm going to say, knowing that this, um, the theme of our session is, is the you and community, I just want to share that, you know, it, if it wasn't for the Ubuntu philosophy, I am because we are, uh, and we are because individually I am uh, cognizant of the shoulders I stand on. Uh, if it wasn't for that type of unity that was present, present in my communities, I wouldn't be who I am and where I am today. I often say that uh, while many people try to give me the praise for, for those accolades and vast achievements of being the first and the only to do certain things, um, it really goes to the community who helped to make me uh, and shape me to be who I am. So it's, a it's indeed a pleasure to be with you. And I'm looking forward to getting into some philosophical studies. My PhD is in uh, a variety of things uh, ranging from education leadership, but to postmodern thought with Derrida, Foucault, Michel Foucault, uh, and of course, postmodernism, structuralism, and the philosophical roots of understanding uh, how to resist some of the main tendencies of herds mentalities to lean towards a more vibrant uh, representation of the true you and true us. So, so I look forward to having this discussion, my brother. Wow. See, I told you, listeners, I did tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So let's dive in then. Oh, let's dive in. Let's yes. start around the title. Unity starts with you. You know, there's a lot of cliches out there, isn't there, around, uh, you know, together we are stronger is a common one. And, you know, that, that's true, of course. You know, the sum of the, the individual parts are greater than the whole. Absolutely. But ultimately, it comes down to that, that something inside that one person, doesn't it? That spark, that fire, that, you know, what have I got inside me? Um, which then brings in another discussion, oh, and we'll, we'll kind of progress on to that, I'm sure. Who am I? Yes. Any yes. thoughts around any of that? By all means, uh, on the temples of Daphne in Greece, um, know thyself is placed there because the Greek society knew that true education and true empowerment begin with truly knowing yourself. And, you know, there's no coincidence in life, nor is there coincidences in our, uh, in our often in, even in our lexicon, uh, I'll say. So I, it's, no, it's no coincidence that there is only like one big difference between even illness and wellness. Uh, I do a lot of work with wellness and well-being. And the major difference between illness and wellness is when we remove the I in illness and replace it with 
a W-E for we, you get wellness. That is why in grief, in times of grief, people say, well, do something for others and it will help you through grief. When you take the focus from me, myself, and I towards we, then you remove illness and replace it with wellness. But that's that, that unity that begins with you. Internal consistency is a, a spiritual unity where oftentimes we're internally inconsistent. We sometimes do things to meet societal expectations and goals that's been created or placed upon us or suppressed upon us to basically force to do something that we don't ultimately want to do, but we do it because so many others do it, either the herds mentality, we do it because we're told to do it by somebody we love or respect, or we do it because we're just trying something different. But you know internally when that is not who you are, that is not what you were created for, that is not where you need to go, and that ultimately doesn't represent you. That is the beginnings of this unity for internal consistency of the spirit and the soul. But then people who have found their internal rhythm, their internal rhythm of when to wake up, when to go to sleep, what to eat, what not to eat, what makes your stomach upset versus makes, makes you feel like you're walking on a cloud, uh, what to say that makes you feel good all day, what to hear that makes you actually just thrive and want to go further and have more gas and fuel in your tank. That you for the unity, I'm still dealing with the internal aspects of your internal psyche unity. It really has to do with something that I've coined as drive, drive, which stands for what is your major discipline and how disciplined are you to be within the domain of your internal consistency for your personal unity? D for drive, R for relationships. Are you in relationships that, that, that zap you? Like you just been, you know, you just been stung <laughs> uh, like a bug or, or that sap you, that suck things out or, or that take you to a zenith, the, a higher place than ever before. Relationships. In those relationships, do you have authentic rapport? That's another R within drive. The rapport that allows you to know that you are loved and loved just the way you are and that you're able to be honest and authentic in your true self rapport that allows for realness. This is part of your internal unity. The I is not for intellect because it's not about how smart we are. People don't care what you know until they know that you care about others, something other than you and about them. So it's really about insight. The I of the drive for unity is about insight. Insight to what people care about, to the souls and the hearts of people, to the domains of what matters most, the insight, what matters most for you, society, your problem, the situation, and our current time, insight. The V in drive is the volition, the will to literally, the will to power, to cite a book by Nietzsche, the will to make something out of nothing, the will to make energy out of tiredness, the will to press on. That is what drive is all about, and that's what internal unity and internal consistency is about because not everything goes well but you have to have the will to press on the will and then e the e is for engagement engagement even when when things go wrong as they sometimes will when the roads are trudging seems all uphill when, you're, when your funds are low and your debts are high when you want to smile but you have to cry when care is pressing you down a bit rest if you must but don't quit engage <laughs> engage. And that leads to empowerment. And that's just the internal aspect of the you that must be present to have unity. Then when you switch over to the external aspects of a community that forms unity, unity the community, I will summarize it like this. People in the United States and possibly all across the world talk about equity, equity, because equity is not equal. Equal is giving everybody the same, but equity for me, I define it as meeting the need at the speed of the need. Equity, I also define poetically as equity is what love looks like in public amongst strangers. So when we talk about the unity and the you and unity, when you are loving strangers in public, that is the you and unity. 
when you are meeting a need for a perfect stranger at the speed of the need, like giving to the homeless or someone who's on a corner who's asking for money, giving them a smile instead of a frown, giving them the time of a conversation, giving them yourself by saying, I see you, you are not invisible to me. And not only that, I support you. And not only that, but you are sufficient. And if you can't see yourself as being sufficient, then at least during this moment together, we are sufficient. That creates this unity that becomes a vibrant community that helps the community be vibrant. And so, yeah, we can dig into that and unpack that. But equity, most people say it, but no one really just off the top defines it. And I, I want to just start with the definition because people talk a lot. But we don't know what they're talking about if you don't have a definition for, okay, what does that mean to you? Unity is internal and external consistency of the spirit and the physical so that you ultimately create wellness and well-being, harmony. That is the unity. And it does begin with you uh, because disharmony also begins with you. And there is a lot of purposeful disruption that occurs in places, especially in the United States, because ultimately people uh, don't have their attention on something until there's sometimes a disruption to the status quo or hegemony that ultimately people assume is unity, but that hegemony uh, has to do with the powerful and the elite creating what may be the, the, the mandate. And so a little disruption is needed before there is some uh, internal consistency and harmony uh, in order to have everyone, every me and you be invited as a voice to the table. Yeah, brother, we're just getting started, but that is my life work. Um, and, and ultimately that's everything I aim to do in every role position and in my leisure. It's all about unity and in our communities, especially. Just wanna go back on to um, distinguish between illness and wellness how I be from I to we. And, you know, I, I love these play on words. And I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate here and reflect back some of the uh, comments that I've had at least semi-consistent, if not consistently. Oh, it's okay for you, Paul. You're good with words and you play with words. But what does it all mean? And a very simple one, because words have energy, don't they? Words have energy, they have power, you know, and um, I think we have to be very aware of that. But a, a simple one for me that I also like on that, uh, on that wellness stroke um, illness one is small changes matter. And just by changing one letter, so bitter can very quickly become better. That's right. That's right. That's so true. So true. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. You know, oftentimes that is the struggle. Will we take what life issues us and drive ourselves towards having it make us better? Or will we ultimately get stuck in the, in the, in the universe of our own minds towards the entitlement of I deserve this, or this should have happened this way, which often proceeds and makes you more bitter. And, and I do think that there's, yeah, that, that is the best continuum. It's not about even right or wrong. It's not even about always true or false, um, because some things are beyond true and false. Some things are beyond good and evil. Uh, oftentimes it is about better and bitter. And I think about this from the aspect of humanity. You know, there, Ulysses uh, said a long time ago in, in like uh, 500 BC, uh, but even in our suffering, pain which comes drop by drop, falls upon our heart, teaching us the awful, not awesome, but awful uh, grace of God. That, that is the epitome of taking the bitterness to have it make you better by suffering. And ultimately what we have to do and continue to do as humans, individuals, but also collectively is expand the notion 
of the human condition, you know, expand what it means to be human. And the only way to do that is to transfer all bitterness into at least a story. Because even in your bitterness, if you tell your story that made you bitter, someone else will eat that up to become better. Someone who may not be as bitter or someone who could push past the bitterness to get to the sweetness can become better. Uh, but ultimately by just saying it, you become, uh, you help humanity become larger in its heart uh, by extending what's in your head and by reaching out your hand. Uh, so yeah, there, there are, <laughs> in the simple things you can confine wise people. Uh, and that's something that's simple that has great wisdom in it. Bitter versus better. It's great. I love what you said there um, around the, you know, the stories we tell ourselves very, very much. Was it uh, one of your fellow countrymen, I think, Art um, Henry Ford? Did he coin the phrase that if you think you can, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right. It's all wrapped right. up in the story, right. isn't it? It's all wrapped up in the story we tell ourselves. That's exactly right. That's so true. I, I told my daughter that from the wee ages of two and three. Uh, yep. <laughs> so that she would know that she's responsible for her outlook and her destiny. Uh, that is so true. And uh, oftentimes we we uh, we don't know the power that's between our ears uh, with our head, but that also the, the journey, the longest journey we'll ever take is really just 16 uh, inches in many people's cases or thereabout. And it's that journey between your head to your heart. Yeah. Uh, to handle the things that are coming from outside in, the journey between the head and the heart is the longest one because you're in constant struggle for your entire life to try to, to, try to master that journey. Uh, but, but you know, from my humble beginnings uh, of having my mother have me at 43 and my, the, her doctor saying that I would be born uh, mentally handicapped, retarded, mongoloid, those are the words they used back in that time. Uh, and I'm, I'm now the, the ripe old age of 44, but nonetheless, um, you know, she had a choice to make of whether to have me or not, or to abort me. And she chose to have me. And she lost her eyesight from glaucoma. She lost all of her teeth within a matter of a few, you know, uh, months, uh, because I sucked the life out of her. And however, you know, she chose to uh, take that 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 price to 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 share and give life and um, and she never complained never showed any bitterness and then my dad was a a, a one leg amputee he had one uh, left leg and uh, and ultimately he you know he had dropped out of high school he was born in 1933 and he's still alive uh, thankfully and he's uh, 88 and so but you know being handicapped uh, with one leg being an African-American and being without a high school diploma in America doesn't really allow you to make more than poverty, impoverished wages, usually, usually for your whole life. But that was the humble beginning that birthed the drive within me to create a new reality that, that allowed me to, you know, buy them groceries, food and a house and so forth. And, and, and to ultimately to be uh, my best self to ultimately cover through equity uh, to show what love looks like to people who were not strangers and then extend that to people who are strangers in public. Um, and so, you know, that I just have to say, you know, we all are given problems in life and those problems are sometimes our greatest gifts because they really build our character. They forge who we are and if we can master that. We can flourish. We can flourish. On that drive acronym that you offered us from the internal perspective art i want to pick out one of those five and the one that as soon as you said it i mean this is like a beacon to me whenever i hear this word and no matter what the context boy you know when when, when i alluded to that words have power listeners this one for me and you're not going to be surprised about what i'm going to say here because you've heard me say it so many times but it's the importance of relationships Yes. I mean, this is such a vast topic, Art, isn't it? I kind of, yes. you know, conceptualise from my own point of view, the old dartboard. And right in <laughs> the centre is that relation, the bullseye, if you will, is the relationship yes. with source. Whatever mm. source 
You know, for me, it's the most intimate of intimate relationships. Some people might call that God. Some people may call that spirit. Some people may call that whatever. But for me, that is that most intimate of intimate relationships. And in that bullseye and just on the outer is, is us or that human version of who we think we are. Because, you know, one of the one of these sort of phrases I love to throw out to people Art, is who on earth do you think you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there isn't there isn't well, is it true? It's not for me to presume or assume, but is there a train of thought that uh, there is for myself, but that says I can guarantee who you think you are, Paul, is actually mm. not who you truly are. And I think to mm. varying degrees, from my experience, it's probably true for all of us, isn't it? Yes, yes, I, I totally, I totally agree. So you, 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 well, first, you really capped it off with the first important question, who are we? Second question is, where are we going? And the third question is, what do you need to get there? I wrote a book called Bridging, Severing the Achievement Gaps uh, in Education, Sages, Severing the Achievement Gaps in Education of Students, and Bridging the Gap of the Heart, Head, and Hand. And your point is about who we are sometimes and who we think we are and the inconsistency between who we think we are and who we really are or who society sees us as and then the fact that who who we're seen as and who we are can be different and they both can be wrong who 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 we're seen as can be not totally the case and who we think we are cannot be the case and then there's this other you this other me and you that's there that is yet elusive and not able to be touched so that is Within that is life, because that is the ebb and the flow of relationships. What, are, what is our role? What is our responsibility? And what is our rapport with one another? And that is kind of a definition, an operating definition of relationships for me. So first, everything starts with the defining it so that we can then not talk all about it, but not hit it. But the relationship is... What is our role that society has given us or that I have given myself towards you? Sometimes it's bloodline, my father, my mother, my brother, my sister. Sometimes it's friend. Um, you know, I, I want to be the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes it's soulmate uh, or spouse uh, or significant other. Uh, and so that's the role. And then and that, that, that kind of dictates a relationship depending on how you define those roles, uh, because everyone's marriage is different. Everyone, or, you know, everyone's marriage could be different depending on what they choose to make it. Everyone's brother and sister relationship could be different. Parent relationships could be different because some people define the role of parent with different responsibilities, which is the next R. So role, responsibility, you know, as a parent, I'm responsible for taking care of you because you're a minor, you, or if you're younger than 18 or legally the adult age, and even past the adult age, I'm still your parent, therefore uh, we're gonna do whatever it takes to help you succeed. That, that is one notion of parent that many people subscribe to, which I think is a good one, but it's ultimately the, the sacrifice of yourself so that the next generation can be better than you were, so that, you, that every generation does better than the previous one. Uh, that's that's a, a, a version of the parent. And, I, and when, I, when I was teaching in school, even in my ninth grade algebra classes, I would give statements like this. Uh, the child is the parent of the adult uh, because you must be a child, uh, go through childhood, that is, which we created the notion of childhood uh, in order to be a successful or a flourishing adult. Um, and, and, you know, some people skip a childhood and just go straight to adulthood working at 11, 12, uh, being forced into positions of adulthood. But again, that has to do with the roles we're given in society towards the relationship you have with society. Um, and so, you know, some people in poverty, impoverished situations were forced to begin working early in order just to eat and their relationship uh, prompted them to have a role. Uh, and then, then lastly, you know, the rapport. Um, when, every now and then we meet people who like you and I have this connection. It's like, I don't know what this is, but this is something special. There's a rapport from the start. There's some commonality. There's some understanding about uh, we are pushed to our purpose, propelled through our pain. That's, that's, uh, that's one of those Paulinian art 
uh, relationship uh, rapports that didn't take a lot of words. It was just there from the heart at the start. It was there from the start, from heart to heart. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so I think that all that goes into this issue of who are we? We're constantly evolving. We're constantly changing. We're elusive like the sun uh, because <laughs> like the sun, I rise to meet my rightful place in the skies. Uh, but <laughs> like the sun, I set uh, to criteria and things that I have yet to be met. But elusive like the sun, I neither rise nor set because the sun is fixed and it's the earth who revolves. And like the earth, I evolve and revolve trying to become in this pendulum who I am meant to be. And that's through relationships with you and me. That is a poem I wrote a long time ago, uh, 20 years ago, but it, it strikes at the heart of this issue of relationships and who am I and, and what am I becoming? Uh, and then one other point, people talk about relationships mostly on the individual level, you know, my relationship with someone else. But there are, you know, I, I see systems and there are six S's for relationships. What is your relationship to yourself? You got to spend some time with yourself. You have to love yourself. You have to know yourself. You have to believe yourself, trust yourself, forgive yourself. <laughs> you got to forgive yourself. That one word, I just going to say it. I said so many words, forgive. That's all I got to say. That word is so powerful. If I, if you don't hear anything else, forgive. <laughs> so, but, but the notion of relationships with self, forgiving yourself is essential. Then we move to the other S, uh, second S, uh, beyond forgiveness, then, or beyond the self of relationship with self, a relationship with the soul, you know, the soul. What is your purpose? Why am I here? What do I thrive most in doing, in being? What's my relationship with my soul, but then also understanding then the spirit, you know, the connection to another soul, another, another purposeful moving energy. And that's that spiritual relationship. Can you feel the movement? Can you feel the energy? Can you, do you have a relationship with this energy that, that's spiritual, that's, that's more present than the air we breathe? It's all around us and it's constantly operating. People who operate with relationship and spirit are usually the most happy and sometimes, well, the most successful. Now, success isn't always defined by being the wealthiest uh, because sometimes, as we know, like my brother, countryman Bill Gates, uh, he's, he's one of the richest men on earth, but he's very unsuccessful right now because he's going on tours still talking about global warming and the pandemic. But the first question out of people's mouth, uh, like Anderson Cooper, is, oh, tell me about that divorce. And it makes a spiritual transformation on his face where he's embarrassed about his own, his own actions, his own self, and his own rupture in the soul relationship that then has him internally confront himself. Uh, so, so ultimately, understanding how the spirit moves and how it connects to your soul and yourself, then you can get to this social relationship of you and others, your roles, your responsibilities, and your rapport with others of uh, the social domain of relationships, you know, how to define happiness, a joint collective happiness, a utilitarianism, doing for the greatest, uh, making action. Now, I'm not a utilitarianist, we believe that I don't believe that that's the best philosophy of basically doing for the greatest need uh, and then and ignoring everybody else. Uh, but ultimately understanding the dynamics of that and the, the power of that and the, the, the problems with that, understanding the social aspects. And then lastly, uh, again, understanding the systems. So, so, you know, society is one system that makes you have a social relationship with others, uh, but, but there are many systems. And, and those systems were created before we got here. Therefore, you kind of got to, you know, know the rules, the hidden rules to the systems that you operate in so that you can either disrupt the system or uh, empower and enhance the system. And that's what I think about when we talk about relationships multiple levels, three-dimensional chest or more, really six-dimensional chest uh, is what relationships is all about. Fascinating. Fascinating. Let me ask you a bit of a left-field question, Art, if I may. Please do. Which comes first, forgiveness or gratitude? Mm. You know, I think that they're very intertwined. You know, I, 
I, uh, being a postmodern thinker, I, I don't get put into the dichotomies at all. That's 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 postmodern, <laughs> postmodern one on one. So I sometimes believe it can be. I believe it could be both, and sometimes I can believe it can be neither. Like I could, I, I believe that neither uh, gratitude or forgiveness can come first. Uh, pain comes first <laughs> because once you're hurt, then you get pushed to a point of desperateness to say, "Oh, I gotta forgive." To, to just sleep at night and then gratitude comes from the pain that produced the forgiveness that produced the the gratitude uh so i could I, so i believe in the neither neither and i believe in the both too but let me say what what came to mind um knowing that michael brown jr was my student in ninth grade it allowed me a very interesting opportunity being superintendent of jennings to have to 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 just just happened to be, and nothing is coincidental, but just happened to be the right place, the right time to help coach Leslie McSpatten, which is Michael Brown's mother, pass that grief after the protest and after her, you know, really being angry and after things got burnt and people protested in March, she came and met with me and said, I want to start a nonprofit in honor of my son, the Michael D. Brown Foundation. And I said, uh, and she asked me, would I help her? And I said, uh, no, not unless you do three things. <laughs> so you said, no? Yeah, because that's what love looks like in private. Uh, because she had some things that she needed to do before the foundation to the point of forgiveness and to the point of gratitude. I said, first, you need to re-enroll in high school because you dropped out of 11th grade. And I know you're 33, but I want you to finish what your son finished. What better way to honor your son and to get the degree that he got, a high school diploma? She enrolled in the program we created, an adult GED, uh, general education diploma, and she finished in six months. So she checked that box. She finished what she started and didn't finish uh, until just a few years ago. And that made national news, it was on CNN. Second thing I said, no, I won't help you with this nonprofit until you do a few things. I said, I want you to meet with the police chief, the chief of the guy who had the police officer who shot your son and killed him. I want you to meet with him uh, so that we can work on Forgiveness, I said, and, and this issue of forgiveness is not for him as much as it is for you. You must understand the relationship between forgiveness releases you. It stops you from being trapped in this narrative for the rest of your life. So she agreed to meet with the police chief and the police chief did something that I didn't expect and she didn't expect. His first words were, I really regret what happened to your son. And Leslie said, I regret what happened to my son, too. Ooh, common ground. <laughs> it just came up. It's like, wow, OK. And then he said, you know, I don't hate you. That's what the police chief said. I don't hate you. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate black people. I don't hate anyone. And Leslie said, I don't hate you either. Mm, that surprised the police. It's like, well, didn't we just hear you say, burn us down? We hate these people. I, mean, it's just, I don't hate you. And then. The police chief asked, can I uh, and will you allow me to give you a hug? And Leslie said, yes. And they embraced each other for about two minutes until tears came down, at least two minutes. And that is what immediately came to my mind when you asked the question about issue of forgiveness or gratitude. Uh, once she did that, Leslie did that, I knew I didn't need to say anything else. I brought the meeting together. They hugged, they cried, they asked to touch each other. And, and so now they're at the point of reconciliation where it may not make you whole, but at least allows you to forgive and, and at least start to move one inch further on this journey. Now she was ready for a nonprofit. The last challenge was in your nonprofit, partner with the police. So that the students who are coming to learn how to garden and to play basketball have mentors that are cops. So that cops aren't afraid of the kids that you associate with and the kids aren't afraid of the cops that, that they have to interact with, uh, bridging that gap of the heart head in hand. And so, so yes, I do believe that forgiveness is one of the central pieces to move towards gratitude if it's linear and if and when it appears linear. Um, but I do believe that uh, there's some other commonalities, some connections of the soul that help you immediately to forgive and immediately to move to a space towards gratitude 
if you can make that soul connection, that connection of the soul. Um, and so, but it, it presents itself in different ways in different people's lives. Sometimes gratitude comes first that then gives you the, the spiritual fuel to have the power to say, okay, I, I forgive you because I'm grateful that I'm still alive, I choose to forgive. Sometimes the pain is so powerful that it takes the wealth of gratitude before you have the, the fuel for forgiveness um, or the humility of gratitude. You know, who am I to have been given so much despite my pains that I, that I think I, it's upon me that I owe this uh, situation forgiveness. Um, because of the, the the universe giving me such such abundance that it's just part of the yin and the yang that I'm now going to allow that abundance to be transferred through forgiveness. So yeah, I, I really do operate in the it could be neither, it could be both, and it could also be either one of them depending on uh, the depth of the situation. I deliberately asked that question, Art, because it reflects. It's one of you know many questions, um, not the only one, but that either or dichotomy that we have in society. You know, life is either black or white. There's no gray in the middle. You know, you either go left or you go right. You know, there's you know there's no kind of road you know middle ground, is there? And this is a lot of the fear-based stuff that we're indoctrinated. You know, from an early age, isn't it? That you know this either or. And that's one mm -hmm. of the reasons I asked that question. And I want to build yes. on that um, as we start to, you know, as we bring uh, to, uh, things towards a close art by asking this. So on that sort of, um, I want to go back to something you said earlier on uh, when, you, when you quoted that, the longest journey we take from the head to the heart. Um, mm -hmm. It's a quote I love. I mean, my understanding, and not that this is extremely valid either way, that that originated from the Sioux tribe. Um, whether it did or whether it did, is semantics. But, you know, for me, that brings in another um, from the head to the heart, the longest journey. There's a kind of parallel there, and, you know, maintaining this either or, fear versus love. And that long journey that we take up from fear to love. And is it as, you know, is it as simple as making a choice of, I choose love, over fear? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. The sad answer is no, because of what Ford said, because we make the answer no. Some mm -hmm. of us fear and love so much that we make the answer no, when the answer could be and should be yes. The answer for the enlightened person, see, that's what some of the, you know, some of the sage thinking, like, you know, one, one of the great teachers, Jesus said, you must be like a child into the kingdom because he wanted to reduce all this stuff that adults put in the way as prerequisites for love to just the child, like, I just choose to, I love you. Therefore, I let go of the fear immediately. Boom. No, no dissertation about it. <laughs> you know? And so, so. So that's why I say the sad answer is no for those who make the answer no. And the blessed great answer is it is as simple as just choosing love for those of us who come to a place to understand that we are worthy of love regardless of our degrees, credentials, looks, actions, um, we are worthy. We are enough. We, the universe has it just waiting for us if we choose to accept and embrace an overflow of love. And so I try to unpack that by redefining fear um, for people who have these prerequisites. And, um, and this isn't mine, this is something I got from a great mentor. You know, well, years ago, we used to say fear meant false evidence appearing real. Decades ago, that's not mine either. And that, that you know, that's sometimes true, sometimes not true, but I, prefer the acronym of facing everything and rising uh, fear the journey of fear transitioning from fear to love includes 
a prerequisite of facing everything and still rising. And that is the simple choice of committing to the lens of love so that even in our fear, it doesn't mean you have the absence of fear. It means that you choose to always reframe the fear of just facing everything and rising, rising. That is love. When someone is literally you know, kicking you, literally spitting on you, literally choking you to say, to the point where it makes you say, I can't breathe, in the words of Eric Gardner or the words of George Floyd, facing everything and still rising requires love. <laughs> that whole notion of turning the other cheek, that whole notion of, of, hey, maybe it was my cheek that needed slapping so that I could turn it and show you love. Maybe it was me that 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 was chosen to be the one that could not breathe so that I could expose the, so that I could expose the oppression, the oppressive nature of a system that took a sacrifice because law does not equal order. Law plus sacrifice equals order. And so when we face change fear to facing everything and rising, we choose to be the sacrifice that then births a love that's greater than eros and greater than uh, you know, even uh, it's greater than some carnal love. It may approach, you know, more agape if you're taking your whole life to do it, you know, giving your whole life. But it's definitely uh, philo, filial love, brotherly love, sisterly love, filial, and it's storge love, love of the community, love uh, of the kinship. And so that that is our, I believe that's our charge. I think that to be the greatest uh, world game changer, is to ultimately help people translate and transform fear into facing everything and rising, to understand love better. And then I would say, well, again, love is, equity is what love looks like in public amongst strangers. And so, you know, I keep going back to that equity because I know we're, we're at the end of our time, but there's some negative uh, <laughs> uh, dichotomies. You know, you asked me between uh, forgiveness and gratitude, but some people spend their whole life studying as a professor, which came first? Did racism come first, the hatred of a certain person's skin color or slavery? Or did sexism come first or sex slaving? Which one? Did I, did I just view females as lesser and then made them sex trafficking slaves or that they were slaves first and then sexism? Was first? And, and the same answer is true that those dichotomies are not always true. They, they're intertwined. You know, there is some people who have a view of people as lesser and therefore they treat them as lesser in a systemic way, in a system that then translates itself to society that then has a person be less itself. But we have to we have to face it and we have to rise past it. We have to be the, the positive cause uh, that affects change and in, uh, in all of that. And I think that that's who we are. And I know that's who you are, Paul. So. I thank you for allowing me to be with you to share some of these notions then which I've used to, to affect change in my domain. Absolute pleasure, Paul. Mutual pleasure, I assure you. And listeners, you know what happens at this point is, as Art referred to there, we're, you know, we're coming towards the end of this, uh, what I hope you, you believe has been a fascinating insight in, into many aspects of life, and not from necessarily an academic or philosophical debate, point of view or perspective but actually you know passing on some pearls of wisdom some insights to you know what the outside world might label and you know personally i don't deal with labels i've got no time or respect for labels as such you know whether we're black white young old rich rich poor gay straight they're just labels you know we are souls we are souls that are entwined and um but um, I want to ask you one big question, um, Art, uh, to close. But before I do that, um, this is where the kind of metaphoric drum roll takes place in the background. And I want to invite <laughs> you in to share your contact details, you know, where people can find out more about you, reach out to you and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Thank you so much. You can find me easily at www.art, that's A-R-T, McCoy, M-C-C-O-Y.com. That will get you to my website, which has uh, my Vita on it and about me, and then contact information, where if you fill out the contact form, I will get it sent to me directly by email. And uh, I look forward to interacting with you. Another medium is through LinkedIn, uh, backslash Art McCoy, LinkedIn.com backslash Art McCoy. That'll give you the professional LinkedIn site where we can also connect through the chat feature and and connect with resources and, 
and uh, my over 20,000 contacts and so forth. But ultimately, uh, I look forward to engaging with you to change the world in a positive way. Uh, and, and, and particularly you, Paul, thank you for your leadership to be a world game changer and to really capture that notion in a way like no one has to, to bring it to the entire world. All that remains now, Art, is for me to say, I want you to imagine we've met in a hotel reception and we, you know, we've shared a few pleasantries and then we get in this elevator up to the next floor. And you know, I don't know, the elevator's 30 seconds up to the next floor. And just as we're about to, to get into the lift, you know, when we get to the, you know, the next level, I'm going to go left, you're going to go right. And we may never even see each other again. But just before we climb through, uh, climb into the uh, into the lift, I say, Art, do you know, it's been a real pleasure and a fascination to have met you. Thank you so much. But I may never see you again. But by the time that this lift takes us to our next level, just share with me, Art, in, in 30 seconds, will we? Because, you know, I was talking with a colleague the other day around this fascinating subject of unity starts with you. And I love that title, Art, but where do I even start? Art, help me out, please. Where do I start? Mm. Sages. <laughs> Oftentimes, people think sages are the most wise, but really sages are every individual who understands how to sever attainment gaps existing in society. And that society includes yourself, the attainment gap within your heart and your head and your hand, but also the attainment gap of others, what they wish to attain, what their soul wants to attain, what society needs them to attain, needs them to attain. The, the unity starts with you because you can sever that attainment gap that exists in yourself and society. And sever means not just close it, but cut it off within seconds. It's that choice of love over fear that severs the gap. And so sages, become a sage. You are a sage when you choose to sever those gaps. And <laughs> that would what be a beautiful way to conclude matters by saying, you know, that victory of love over fear. And ultimately, listeners, surely that's that's part of a big part of the journey that we go on. And I want to leave it there. Definitely. So all that remains <laughs> now is to sign off by saying, as I normally do, you know, a bit of certainty here, listeners in a conversation which has been sometimes variety driven, but for me to sign off by saying, remember the world's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world is changing. How will you respond? <laughs>